Good morning, brothers and sisters. So, good morning. Several years ago, when I graduated from college, I, uh, I went to engineering school, got out of college, and then it was time to look for a job. Um, and I moved down here to be with Connie, because we actually got married before I graduated. So I started looking around for a job, and I got, I got an interview with this little company in Smyrna. Um, and uh, the first step was a phone interview, so I talked to Bob, and uh, that went okay. That got me an in-person interview. So I dressed up, I printed out my resumes, I got my little fancy folio and my business cards and everything, and I drove up to Smyrna. I arrived at this little, little small little building, and some of you may know where it is. It's, a, it's almost across Lowry from the Nissan plant, from the, actually from the employee activity center there. I think it's a car lot now. A very modest, unassuming little building. So I, I roll up to this building, and then I go in, and the inside was just as modest as the outside. Um, so I go in, I meet these guys, Ken and Mike, and uh, they're both wearing jeans. They've got four-day beards. I was thinking, oh, this is a strange interview. Maybe, maybe the engineer sent somebody, you know, as, a, as another pre-screen. So I thought, well, okay, I'll, I'll be polite, I'll be respectful, and hopefully I'll make a good impression for whoever's going to do the real interview here. Um, so we talked for about 45 minutes, and at the end of our conversation, Ken said, well, I think I'll make an investment in you. And I, he said, can you be here tomorrow morning? And I thought, well, that's interesting. Because what I found out was, Ken was the president of the company. And he owned more than any other person in the company. Um, and the other guy that interviewed me, in jeans and a four-day beard, was one of the other partners. Combined, they think they were about 60% of the company. Um, so you see... They gave me an interview during their most critical time of the year. It was July shutdown, and they worked. They were doing jobs for Nissan. They didn't have time to get fancy for me, and I wasn't someone they needed to get fancy for, right? But they did take the time to meet with me, um, I, but I wasn't someone they needed to impress. So in, and in many ways, it's so interesting looking back. That meeting, that, that brief conversation was a turning point in my life because because that led to a job, that led to a career, that led to my next steps. I mean, there's, it's almost hard to underestimate how significant that one meeting was. Um, and I was thinking about that as I was reading about Nicodemus here, because he goes to this meeting with Jesus, but he doesn't really know exactly what he's, gonna, what he's expecting. He, he knows that he's going to go meet a traveling preacher, a, a person that is called rabbi by other people, He's heard that there's been some miracles, some things that happened, but he doesn't really know who he's going to meet. And he certainly could not have imagined that this conversation would change the course of his life absolutely forever. Well, let's pray before we get started. Father, we, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word, Father. And as Kevin mentioned in Sunday school, it is a beautiful passage. We can appreciate just the beauty of it, but Father, it, it represents truth to us, and that truth means more than just aesthetic beauty. We thank You for that. We thank You for Your Word. And we ask You, Father, to teach us, change us, mold us. Father, use this to spark our hearts. In Jesus' name, Amen. So we're in John 3. If you were able to join us in Sunday school, you're uh, one step ahead. You'll be... You'll be ready to to hear where we're headed. But if you weren't, that's okay. We're in verses 1 through 18 of John chapter 3. 
Now, right before this chapter in John chapter 2 was the, the wedding at Cana where Jesus turned water into wine. And then right after that, He went to Jerusalem to be part of the Passover. And, and actually, that time at the Passover was when He went into the temple and drove out the money changers, right? So, and that's a very brief passage in John, but, but it's significant. And that immediately is followed now by this passage where after Jesus is confronted by people at the temple, probably some Pharisees, it says Jews, but probably some Pharisees, and, and now we have this passage of Nicodemus. I'm just going to go ahead and, and uh, read it. 1 through 18, John 3. Hear the word of the Lord. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. And Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, We speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who has descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. This is the word of the Lord. Alright, so I, I made a nice uh, four-point outline. Could have been five, but we settled for four. But really the outline is just, I want to spend a couple minutes talking about the conversation itself and the context, this, this crash course for Nicodemus, this, this, the teacher being taught here. And then I've got three, three main points that Jesus makes to Nicodemus. Three musts. You must be born again. The Son of Man must be lifted up. And you must believe. These three musts that Jesus is going to communicate to Nicodemus and teach him, the teacher of Israel. So, so who was Nicodemus? That's, it's, uh, it's interesting his name, actually, because uh, as, you, as you look at it, it's not a Hebrew name, is it? It's actually a Greek name. But he's a, he's a Pharisee, he's a Jew, he's in the Sanhedrin, but he doesn't have a Jewish name. It's very interesting. Uh, actually, it's, it's Greek and it actually means victory of the people. If you, if you piece it apart, the Nico part, it refers to Nike, the goddess of victory, the Greek goddess of victory. 
And then Demas, which we have a family in town here called Demas. I love their spaghetti. It just means the people, right? We have, so we have Nicodemus, victory of the people. We, he was a Pharisee. This was a group. You might think of them almost as a denomination within Judaism or, or a party, kind of like a political party, but uh, not exactly. But they were Jews, and their focus, their whole thing, was being faithful to Scripture and the law of Moses because they had observed what happened in Israel's history when Israel wasn't faithful. And they knew that God demanded that they be faithful. So the Pharisees were all about being faithful to the Scripture, being faithful to the Mosaic law. And they spent a lot of time and energy knowing exactly what the law said and trying very hard to follow it. That's that's the kind of person, that's Nicodemus. Um, They have their downsides, and we we talk about the downsides a lot, but, but that's what they were trying to do. Now what else? Nicodemus was a teacher. We know this because Jesus called him one. We know that he was a member of the Sanhedrin. John refers to him as a ruler of the Jews. That remember that Rome was in charge of Israel at the time. From a civil authority point of view, Rome was the empire. But they allowed local religious authority to exist. And the local religious authority was the Sanhedrin. These 70, it was a basically a, almost like a, like a senate sort of body. These 70 rulers of the Jews. And Nicodemus was one of them. So... Nicodemus was kind of a big deal. He was not a man who had to pay respects to people in Israel. He was a man that others paid respects to. He was successful. He was well known. He was smart. He was influential. And he came to see Jesus at night. Interesting. We talked about this in Sunday school. Why did he come at night? Was it that was a convenient time? You know, the the work of the day was done, so now I'll just come at night and we can relax. Plausible. Was he embarrassed? He, he wanted to know about Jesus, but he didn't want other people to see him come? Plausible. Was he trying to hide this meeting from his colleagues? Plausible. We don't know exactly why he came at night. All those things could be possible. He probably knew that Jesus had offended some people at the temple, and he probably knew some of those people. Because uh, when Jesus... When Jesus was at the temple and he told them that you could tear down this temple and I'll rebuild it in three days. I'll raise it up in three days. And we know that was deeply offensive. Um, So he's going to go talk to this person that had just offended some folks. What was he thinking when he went? Well, he he has questions. He wants to understand who Jesus is. We We can kind of look at how the Pharisees treated John to see kind of the questions that are going through their mind. What did they ask John? Are you Elijah? Who are you? Are you the one that's to come? Are you the prophet of Moses? Who are you exactly? So they want to know. And, and so he's coming to Jesus with these questions. Who are you? What is this? And he starts graciously. Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. That's pretty neat. He called him Rabbi. That's a very respectful thing to do for a senior, credentialed, Man of status, a learned teacher, and he calls this guy from the country rabbi. That's, that's very respectful. That's a good step. He also acknowledged the miracles that are, that are coming from God, which is way better than some of his colleagues who said they came from demons. He, this was much more open-minded. And it was intended to give Jesus every benefit of the doubt. And, and I think that Nicodemus is hoping to draw out some answers. Let me, let me set this in the best way that I can with this with this person so I can try to understand where he's coming from. 
What's so interesting as the conversation turns, does Jesus engage in some, some diplomatic banter back? No, He doesn't even say hi. He goes straight to the heart of the matter. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Oh, that's, that's, pretty, uh, that's a pretty hardcore opening statement there for Jesus to do. Right? But he knows, he knows what's in Nicodemus' heart. Nicodemus has questions. How can I be saved? What is the meaning of all this? Who are you? What's happening? What's going on? And so Jesus says, unless you're born again, you can't understand. You can't see. You won't know. So we'll go into that in a little bit, but let's keep going in the, in the flow of the conversation. Because after that, Jesus goes on telling Nicodemus more about this. And when, Jesus, when Nicodemus asks, how can these things be? Jesus rebukes him. Are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? He goes on, truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know, bear witness to what we've seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I've told you earthly things and you don't believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? What does he mean by this? He's declaring to Nicodemus that he alone can declare heavenly truth because he's the only one who's been there and come down to earth. He's telling Nicodemus, I am the Son of Man. I can say these things because I came from heaven. You can't even comprehend simple earthly things, let alone the heavenly things that I could tell you. Right? So this is kind of the the flow of the conversation that happens here. And Jesus tells him more truth. But but that's the end of it for Nicodemus. The last thing he says is, how can these things be? That's recorded here. So what do we learn from this? How how Nicodemus came to Jesus? We, We, like Nicodemus, need to approach Jesus with humility, obviously. And what else? We need to expect to be surprised. Nicodemus came thinking, okay, well... You're a teacher and you say some interesting things and there's some miracles going on around you. I don't think Nicodemus had any concept that he was face to face with God incarnate. But he would find that out. So expect to be surprised. Don't come to Jesus with your preconceived notions and expect Him to fulfill those. Because that's not what He is. He's God. He's bigger than you. He's bigger than your imagination. So... I want you to, to think about these things as Nicodemus did. He came up and he, he, he approached Jesus humbly and then Jesus didn't coddle him. He shook him up. He reminded him that all of Nicodemus' credentials, all of his achievements didn't mean a thing. But that's a blessing because it let, it let Nicodemus hear clearly. And there's three hard truths then that Jesus told him. You must be born again. The Son of Man must be lifted up and you must believe. So let's move on. You must be born again. Rodney in Sunday school mentioned Jimmy Carter. Jimmy Carter kind of popularized that phrase in 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 the American vernacular in the 70s because because Jimmy was a he was a presidential candidate, a politician, and he openly said, "I'm a born-again Christian." And and much of society just did not understand what that what that phrase meant or or what it could possibly mean. And Nicodemus now is going to hear it for the first time, and it's going to make about as much sense to Nicodemus as it did to America. So he wasn't being stupid when, when, G, when Nicodemus asked, well, how can a man go back into his mother's womb? I, this, is, this is a sophisticated man. He's a scholar. Um, and we talked about what, you know, what he was doing. Was he being sarcastic? I don't really think so. 
I think he was allowing himself to be taught. I think he was, he was just engaging in Jesus' metaphor and letting it flow naturally to see what Jesus would tell him. Um, so he, he asks, uh, in, sort of, he's asking, he didn't ask in these words, but he's kind of asking, well, how can I be born again? Right? That's what we want to know. If it's important to be born again, how can it happen? Right? Because Jesus says you cannot see the kingdom of God unless it happens. And then he compared it to the wind. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound. But you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. He's talking about a mystery. We can't control this thing. It's the Spirit. In John chapter 1, John says in verse 12, But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. He's saying that a man cannot will himself to be born again. This is not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, not of the will of man. This is an action of God that he takes of his own will. We, Jesus said to his disciples at the Last Supper, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. So that's his exclusive claim. I am the one. I'm the only one. And we're familiar with that. He also said in John 6, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. So we have, we have this, uh, this thing that we see that God, God is in charge of our salvation. And he comes, he comes to us. Also at the Last Supper, Jesus reminded His disciples, You did not choose me, but I chose you. So we have a strong pronouncement that we must be born again, and we can't do it ourselves. And... How it happens is a mystery. (laughs) What are we supposed to do with this? Well, it's a mystery that leaves evidence. And let's think about a few cases of evidence in Scripture, right? Remember when Peter made his great confession? Jesus asked, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus said, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And what is Jesus saying here? Jesus is saying, Peter has taken a glimpse of the kingdom of God. The spiritual reality that can only be seen by those that God grants spiritual rebirth. So he's acknowledging, Peter, yeah, we don't don't always see the wind. We don't always know exactly when and where it's coming from. But Peter, I see that the wind has blown through you. Remember Zacchaeus, when he believed, he paid back all the money he'd taken. Remember? And what did Jesus say? Today salvation has come to this house. What was he saying? Did, did Zacchaeus buy his salvation with his money? No, of course not. Of course not. Zacchaeus had been given a peek into the kingdom of God. Changed the way he looked at everything. Now it wasn't the money that he valued anymore. It was, it was a righteousness. It was generosity. It was care for others. Why? The wind had blown through Zacchaeus. Look at Nicodemus. In today's passage, the story ends with an open question. Did Nicodemus see? Later in John, we'll see Nicodemus partially defend Jesus in the Sanhedrin. It's it's not a bold defense. It's just basically saying, hey, everyone should be treated fairly under the law. We shouldn't do this wrong, right? If we're going to accuse somebody. That's, That's in the middle of John. And then at the end of John, what do we see? At the cross, Nicodemus shows that he has been born again. This wind is blown through Nicodemus because he boldly goes and asks 
And he helps to retrieve and bury the dead body of Jesus. So we see the mystery. We see really the results of the mystery, but we can't understand how it happens. God directs it, but then when it happens, we can see that it has happened. The new birth is a work of God, not man. You can't force it. You can't control it. You can't even understand it. Think, just think for a moment about the idea of being born. That's the illustration that Jesus used of birth. Does a baby ask to be born? Does a baby have any control over when or how or who her parents are? No. Being born is something that happens to you, not something that you initiate. So following rules, memorizing Scripture, doing good things, these are good, but they can't save you. And Jesus said that you cannot see the kingdom unless you are born of the Spirit. And you can't birth yourself. But you can come to Jesus. You can ask Him like Nicodemus did. Just because you can't see God doesn't mean He can't see you. If you haven't been born of the Spirit, as evidenced by your belief in Jesus, ask Him to reveal Himself. What is the application for a lesson that you can't do anything about? Because I I try to have a lesson or an application, right, for every point. So um, if the point here is that you can't do this, what's the application? The application is gratitude and humility. Because if there's any part of you that takes any credit for your salvation, I want to ask you, put it to death and kill it. If there's any part of you that thinks you might deserve God's mercy, no, that needs to be thrown away. You didn't earn it. You didn't do it. It was given to you. If there's any part of you that thinks you might be just a little bit better than somebody else, that's evil and it's wrong. Get rid of it. What do we do from this? We be grateful. We be humble. That the God of all all creation has stooped down to say, you know what, Ken, you're not worthy, but I love you anyway. And I'm going to give you a rebirth so that you can see my kingdom. Wow. And I didn't do it. He did it. Thank you. We, We must be humble. We must be grateful. So we must be born again. The second thing that Jesus taught Nicodemus, the Son of Man must be lifted up. We talked about this in Sunday school. Also, the second hard truth was that Nicodemus would be, or not Nicodemus, he told Nicodemus, was that Jesus would be lifted up like the snake in the wilderness. A strange, strange story like we talked about. Imagine Nicodemus here. His head must have been spinning, I think. Right? Jesus told him that he should have understood spiritual birth as an Old Testament scholar. Come on, Nicodemus. How many times have you read the Old Testament? How many? Well, he wouldn't have called it the Old Testament, right? How many times have you read the Law and the Prophets, right? How much of it have you memorized, Nicodemus? Probably a lot. Probably a lot. And you don't understand what I'm talking about? Come on, Nicodemus. Come on, teacher of Israel. And now Jesus says, I'm the Son of Man. I'm like the bronze snake that Moses lifted up. What? I, I can just imagine what Nicodemus was thinking. He's trying to like, place and contextualize what kind of analogy are you making? What are you talking about? The bronze snake that Moses lifted up so that when the people who were being bitten by vipers could look at this thing in faith and then be rescued from the poison. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure Nicodemus was just scratching his head. Um, And Jesus didn't do this at this time, but later He would clarify to His disciples that His lifting up would actually mean His crucifixion, an execution by the Romans. 
But he didn't reveal this to Nicodemus. I, I think he was planting a seed for Nicodemus to, get, to come harvest later. What we now understand, though, the truth behind what Jesus is saying is that Jesus came on a mission to pay for the sins of the world. He came literally to die. The Son of Man must be lifted up. All the Old Testament points to Jesus. And here He calls on this image, this 1,300-year-old incident that happened. It's a strange image from a strange time. And Jesus says, that's me. That's what was going on there. That was to point to me. Paul told the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. The idea there is that as Jesus hung on the cross, He was sin, in a sense. Just like the snake that was killing the people was a bronze snake that represented the snake on the ground. And Jesus became sin and hung on the cross so that we could become righteous. All they had to do was look at it. And God put Jesus on a pole to rescue sin-bitten people of all kinds. And all we have to do is look and believe. So we see, Jesus, the Son of Man, must be lifted up. He came to die for our sins. And you know what? This is the Gospel. Jesus came not to judge and condemn, but to seek and to save. And what do we do with this? How do we apply this to our lives? Again, it's about what He did, not what about we can, what we can do, right? So how do we do that? How do we, how do we respond? We worship. We recognize we can't earn it. We, after all, we're the ones who squandered the treasure. He's the one who paid it back. We're the ones who broke creation. He's the one who's going to fix it. We're the one who ran up the debt of sin. He's the one who's going to pay it off. What can we do? We bow. But we bow before Him. We give ourselves to Him. And we thank Him. We worship Him. That's what we do. The third truth that Jesus told Nicodemus is that eternal life requires belief. You must believe. It's a beautiful truth and a hard truth, actually. It's one of those things that's simple but hard, right? Not complicated. He asks us to believe. But it can be hard. So as we look at this, I don't know, arguably one of the most famous verses in Scripture. You see it in the football games. You see it all over the place. John 3.16 for God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. What a promise. What an explanation of His mission. He, he came for that purpose. And He goes on. He doesn't even stop there. He goes on to say, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. What a comfort. What good news. This person with all the power of creation didn't come to destroy. He came to save. But remember verse 18. Like Kevin was saying in Sunday school, you can't really appreciate the good news unless you recognize the bad news. Because it says whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Your starting point isn't neutral and you get to go one, one side or the other. Your starting point is condemnation. All of our starting points is. Right? We, we start in condemnation, but we're rescued by Jesus. And how does He do it? He, did it? he paid the price on the cross. 
And what does He ask of us? Belief. That's all He asks. Belief. The whole entire Gospel of John, if you look at it, John makes that point over and over and over and over. Belief is what Jesus is asking for. And why? He says, because if you believe Me, then you believe the One who sent Me. And who sent Him? God the Father. He says you must believe. John says as he closes out his book, as he opens the book and as he closes it, I wrote these things so that you'd believe. That's what John wants to do, is communicate to us that we should believe through this book. So this, this again is the Gospel. We must believe. If Jesus is calling, you've got to answer. You must answer. I want to conclude with a, a few thoughts. Um, if uh, the musicians want to make their way back up, and we'll have a brief time of response. But uh, Nicodemus came to Jesus at night. He hoped for some understanding about who Jesus was, but Jesus gave him more than he could have dreamed. Jesus wasn't mean to Nicodemus, but He wasn't gentle either. He gave him some deep and hard truth. You must be born again. You can't see, understand, or anything. You can't, you can't deal with the truth of God's kingdom unless the Spirit causes you to be reborn. And only God can do it. The Son of Man must be lifted up. Jesus had come to give Himself and He would be lifted up on the cross to die for our sins so that they could be saved by looking at Him. So Jesus explains His mission. And you must believe. John's Gospel is focused on this. We come to salvation through belief. Our faith in Jesus and what He's done. So whether you're born again in a moment or over time, it's not, it's not important that you understand exactly how it happened. Just that it did. Remember, we can't, we can't see the wind, but we can see what the wind leaves behind. We can see the evidence. Nicodemus left Jesus with a head full of new thoughts. Was he born again? We don't know at that moment. But later, when he risked everything to take Jesus' body and bury it, we see the evidence. Nicodemus was born again. The thief on the cross asked Jesus to remember him in his kingdom. This thief went from condemned man to born again in a moment. Nicodemus might have taken a couple of years. We don't really know. The Spirit's like the wind, working mysteriously, but leaving his proof behind. If you've heard God's call, you simply must respond in faith. Believe that Jesus is God's Son who died to pay for your sins. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. And Father, I pray that, that as, we, uh, as we respond to Your Word, that we would respond as You've asked us to respond, in belief, in submission. Let us submit, Father, to You. And let us kneel before Your Son, Jesus. Let us believe in His words and what He has done for us. In Jesus' name, Amen.